There are many reasons I, I love to preach here in this pulpit, uh, but one of the reasons I love to preach is that, that this isn't the beginning of the message, that our entire worship service uh, is, is bringing us to this point. I've often said that uh, our worship makes me want to stand up and preach, and uh, so I, I hope that you uh, pay close attention to the words that we sing, to uh, our prayers, to all of those things uh, that do lead up to this moment, because all of them are what we are here for, and that is to to bring uh, glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Three of the world's most prominent religions all point to Abraham as their father. Of course, there is uh, Judaism, and uh, no dispute that Abraham is the, the father of the Jews. But also Islam... Muslims uh, claim Abraham to be uh, their father as well. They would see it through Ishmael, who is the father of the Arab people. Some of you may remember Yasser Arafat, one who was more out front and kind of the precursor of some terrorism that uh, we even see today. But he publicly uh, proclaimed, Ishmael shall have his revenge. And so they too see him as the father of their religion. But the third one is Christianity. And while uh, Judaism, Abraham, to Isaac, to the Jews, while they would claim a, a genetic relationship to Abraham, as would uh, Islam, they would say we have a genetic relationship to Abraham. He is the father of our nations. Christianity sees him as our father, and it's because he is our father by faith. Now, Paul is making that point in this passage as he talks about uh, Abraham and his faith, and then later in Romans, he's going to flesh this out in Romans 9 through 11, where he, he says... Uh, and this is for all of the Jews that were there and those non-Jews that were there that claim to be Christians, where he says, not all descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham are his offspring. So here's what he's saying, and we're going to leave that for when we get to chapter 9. 
But here's what he's saying. That's why this passage is, is essential. Is he's saying there is a higher relationship, a higher relationship than pure genetics, than sharing the blood of Abraham. And that higher relationship is if we share his faith. And the, the book of Romans talks about that faith. Romans 4 connects the Old Testament faith to the gospel and to trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. So let's read our text. We're going to begin with verse 13. The entire chapter is about Abraham, the first part about uh, him being justified by faith and that it was not circumcision. Um, and uh, so we pick up with 13.4. The promise to Abraham and his offspring <clears throat> that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void, <coughs> for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised uh, from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we, as we approach this passage, would you, would you teach us, would you bring home to our hearts just what your message was to the, the church in Rome and is to us? And Lord, we ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, let's begin with the, the most basic aspect, and that is Abraham's salvation was through faith 
and not through the law. Paul had just dealt with, if you were here last week, we talked about this, he had just dealt with circumcision, and now he deals with those who would say, well, okay, maybe it wasn't circumcision, but I, I guess Abraham was saved by keeping the law. And he's just not going to let that pass. It's deadly to think that our works could save us. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He had already said back in in Romans 3, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then he goes on to prove it. And he uses Abraham uh, as... The example, and the point being, no one is justified by the law because no one can fully keep the law except Jesus Christ. And so that's why our justification, our salvation, has to be not entrusting what we do or uh, how much of the law we keep, but how much of the law we can say Jesus kept. And he kept it perfectly. He goes on further to to prove it. Over in Galatians, he, he shows how it would be impossible for Abraham to have been justified by the law. And in Galatians 3, 17, he says, this is what I mean, the law, uh, which came 430 years afterward, did not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the the promise void. And I know you you didn't even have time to to look to that, but basically what he's saying, look, here you got Abraham, he's declared righteous. The law came four, almost four and a half centuries later. So he couldn't have been justified by the law. There was no hint of the written law when he was considered to be righteous by his faith. So, salvation was through faith, not the law. And then he goes on to say, basically, it had to be that way because of the promise. Verse 14. For if it's the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So Paul's making the point that you you cannot be adherents of the law and of faith. They don't fit together. And so again, he's using a a rhetorical method here where he is taking kind of a thought to its conclusion so that when you get to the conclusion, uh, the people will say, well, no, that can't be. And so you'll go back and say, well, that initial thought must be wrong then. And so he's he's doing that with the idea that uh, uh, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if, if Abraham was justified somehow by the law, then there is no faith and there is no promise. And the hearers would go, no, that can't be the case. Now, why not? 
Well, it's because of the nature of the law. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, this goes back. We, we talk about the three uses of the law, how it is, is the civil use for society, basically. And then there is the use for those who are believers, how, how we can best live and, and so on. But then there is the, what we've called the pe- uh, pedagogical use, the, the law as the teacher, and then appropriate today, we're praying for our teachers, or as a schoolmaster. So how is that the case? And we've talked about in that same category, that use of the law, it's a mirror for us. So <clears throat> we see the law, and it shows us what sinners we are. And that's necessary before we need, uh, see our need for salvation. The law exposes us, our guilt, our unrighteousness. It was uh, up on uh, Woodrow Avenue, and it was about 6.15 on a Sunday morning, and uh, I was driving down Woodrow uh, no cars in sight on my way to church. Woodrow, I'll just tell you, the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. And when I say no cars in sight, there, there was one exception. <laughs> and uh, she did a big U-turn and... You, you, know the, you know the feeling, even if you've never had a, a ticket. The blue lights go on, your foot goes off, and you go, uh-oh. And so, you know, all of those cynical things like, uh, why aren't you out getting people who were out all night, you know? <laughs> I didn't say that to her. I was afraid she'd say, I thought I was getting somebody. (laughs) My mind was just drifting, and so I pulled into a parking lot. She pulled behind me, ran my, you know, license and all that. Then they impounded. No, I'm I'm kidding. They didn't. (laughs) Uh, And she came up and... uh, you know, she said, you were doing this in this zone. And I said, officer, I, I don't know how fast I was going, but I'm sure I deserve a ticket because I knew I was, I was going too fast. Now, I tell you that, and, and by the way, she obliged me, you know. <laughs> she didn't say I couldn't agree more, but she... Uh, so... Um, but I did deserve it. And so now, ever since that time, and this is what I'm getting at here, ever since that time on Woodrow, guess how fast I go? <laughs> In fact, today, I actually set my speed control, not, not because I was using this, but because I was slowing down. I just hit my speed control right at 35. 
And uh, early in the morning, like I was coming in today, that's no problem. But when I'm going home from work or, or coming in, guess what happens? There's a big, big line of cars behind me. And, and they don't like me going 35. <laughs> but I don't really care because I made up my mind I was never going to get another ticket on that part of the road. <laughs> now, I say they don't like me doing that, but the exception is this. On the occasion, they see a police car with their radar. And then you know what? They're happy I was going 35. That, that's the, the, the idea here, is that's what the law does. It exposes us. And I'm not just talking about the civil law, but, but God's law. It exposes us for who we are, not just that we break it and we do these things, but it exposes our heart that is rebellious against the law and thinks somehow we know better. And that's, that's what the law does. For the law brings wrath as we're exposed. Salvation was through faith, not the law, and it had to be because it rests on grace. Verse 16. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring. If, if our salvation depended upon our works, it could never be guaranteed. And by the way, that's where people in other world religions are. They are constantly walking the razor's edge of have I done enough, have I obeyed. Whereas Christianity, to follow Christ, it's by grace, and that's why there can be a guarantee, because it's not about my behavior, it's about the righteousness of Christ that's given to me. So that's the glory of the gospel, and that's why it can be guaranteed. The law could never guarantee it. Now, he's about to talk about the nature of Abraham's faith and use this illustration that they, you know, they would be very familiar with. And let me tell you a little um, a thing we need to understand, and that is we got to be careful when we're talking about Old Testament people or really anybody in the Bible, uh, whether you're teaching Sunday school or preaching a sermon, um, it's, it's too easy to, like, uh, preach about Abraham and say, well, Abraham did this, so be like Abraham. And, you know, a be like sermon or a be like Sunday school lesson. You know, be like Daniel. If we stop there, there, there's times where we see examples, but if we stop there and don't ultimately get to Christ, we haven't gotten to the real message of the Scripture itself. So, likewise with Abraham, is we, we don't just say, well, be like Abraham. Why, why not say that? Well, because he, he had probably more failures in his life recorded than successes. 
He, he did manipulative things. He lied. All of that. So, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say, be like Abraham. And yet, he is listed in Hebrews 11. He is listed in the faith chapter for his faith. So it's appropriate for us to then look at his faith. But as we do that, remember, he was just a man. Now, that shouldn't discourage you. It should encourage you. So look at, look at what it says here in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, how so? Well, this is fulfilled because of what I, I, I said earlier. It's not just, not just because of the Jews and Arabs. No, he's the father of many nations because he's the father of all of those who share his faith. And they are in, in every nation throughout the world. So if you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, then Abraham is your father. Then it goes on, and, and he, Paul kind of breaks out into a little doxology here. At least that's how I interpret it. He says, in the presence of God, uh, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And it's almost as if Paul gets caught up in, in explaining this and talking about the, the nature of God. But then he returns to talking about Abraham. Verse 18, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Paul gives this example of faith. Now, why did this take faith for him to, to hear this? So shall your offspring be. Well, verse 19 explains. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So, there's two little details here when God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Two little details that for Abraham to believe that required faith. One detail is he couldn't even have one child. He couldn't, he couldn't even have one. So it wasn't as though he'd say, okay, well, then that means my my sons, my children will be throughout the world. So it would take faith for him to believe that. But the second detail is he was almost 100 years old, and Sarah, who couldn't have children when, they, uh, when she was at childbearing age, was 90. But that's the nature of faith, isn't it? That which you can't picture, that which you can't envision, you believe. Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Now, note this. Even for Abraham, the man of faith, he's called a man of faith for this, but we have to know there were moments when he just couldn't figure it out. He first tries to manipulate God's promise to be true. And then he laughs at the promise. And then he has faith. We sometimes forget those, those earlier things that took place. Genesis 17, Abraham laughs when God told him Sarah would conceive and bear a child. He fell on his face and laughed. Genesis 17, 17. Shall a child be born to a 100-year-old man, a 90-year-old wife? Now, I've got I to give him some props for this. I guess after all those years of marriage, he had learned some things. Um, two things that I'm, I think Abraham did, did well here. The first thing is, when he laughed and was questioning it, it says, he said to himself. <laughs> so he didn't say it to God, and he didn't say it to Sarah. And he included himself. He didn't just say, come on, God, Sarah, don't you know Sarah's 90? That wouldn't have been a good thing for him to do. But he included himself. He said, I'm 100 years old. And he laughed at both their ages. Sarah comes into the house and overhears a conversation between Abraham and God. She laughs. Now, her reaction could have been worse than laughter, but she laughs. This was her thinking. This is what it says back in Genesis 18. Uh, the, before it talks about what she was thinking. Uh, it says, for her, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Um, chapter 18, 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And then here is the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And I love this. It's, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. He said, this is God, no, but you did laugh. You talk about getting caught laughing in church. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had one of those times you couldn't quit laughing and, you know, you're all, she was caught. She was really caught. Faith can't be based on circumstances. If you, if you do, it will bring doubt, questions, or unbelieving laughter. Our faith 
has to be based on something worthy to have faith in. You know, if you're, if you're out in the wintertime and you see ice across a, uh, a pond, If it's thin ice, it doesn't matter how much you have faith that that will hold you. You you can walk out onto it and your faith is not going to keep you from going through that ice because the object of your faith is, is incapable of that. So the object of Abraham's faith was not the circumstances he had, The object of his faith was God himself. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, remember back to that doxology that I said that that Paul bursts into, it wasn't just Paul that believed that part. The doxology was in verse 17. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's what Abraham had to believe for him to believe that he would not only have, have children, but be the father of many nations. He had to believe that God could make something from nothing. God could raise from the dead. Here I am. I'm a hundred years old. I'm as good as dead. And yet you're telling me I'm going to be the father of many nations. Now, Paul then gives us an application. He says this in verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. See, he says it's not just, this isn't just a story about him. It's for for us. It uh, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul, he's he's talking about faith just to help us day-to-day living as well as saving faith, and he's, he's bringing these together here, and he's not letting anyone off the hook in thinking, I must be saved because I'm a Jew, or I must be saved because... I'm related to Abraham. He will not tolerate that. He makes it clear that each one needs his own faith if they're to be saved. And he, con- he connects that Abraham and, and Old Testament believers were saved by faith, and so are we. That's what we talked about in the last couple of weeks. So here's a question for us. What is it What is that thing in your life that is the impossible thing? Now let me rephrase that. What is that thing in your life that feels like it's impossible? 
the thing that as you look at circumstances, you say, there's no way that's going to change. Oh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray about it. I'll do that, but I've been praying about it a long time. It's really not going to change. It may be someone you love who needs the, needs the Lord, but you've lost hope for that person. Or it may be a relationship, your marriage or some other relationship that's falling apart. Or it may be a physical challenge or illness. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm not telling you that all you got to do is, is think it and it will come to be or it will change. That's, you know, I, I'm, this is not visualization. Visualize and it will come to be. This is not positive thinking. Life in this fallen world doesn't really work that way. But here's why we cannot give up on God. Because if God can give life to the dead, as we just read, I can have faith in him. I can have faith in him. If he can give life to the dead, then he can give a new heart to the one I love whose heart is dead. If God can make something out of nothing, if he can call into existence the things that do not exist, he can put love in a marriage where there is no more love. Doesn't mean he always will. Just because we believe he will. But we must know he can. And pray to that end. Don't give up. You can't. But he can. Let's pray. Lord, we simply would ask you for, for faith to know that, that the Lord Jesus is enough. And then, Lord, with whatever we are facing in this life, to, to remember that great doxology that you're the one that, that raises the dead. And you can make something where there is nothing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.